Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I am doing great. It's great to get to chat with you. I know. It was great to see you uh, in Denver at 360iDev, and I really loved your talk. Oh, thank you. So I'm really looking forward to talking about our subject today, about how to communicate your fantastic new app with the press, because I think that's so important. Last week, we had on Ariel from App Figures talking about ASO. And so I think making sure you have a clear message to the press is a, an important part of that equation. So maybe you can go ahead and introduce yourself and what exactly you do. Okay, sure. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Jeff Gamet. I am the text expander evangelist. So that means I'm working with the, the marketing team for text expander, as well as the sales team. And prior to that, I spent about 20 years as a technology journalist and a good chunk of those as the managing editor for the Mac Observer. So I'm in the fun position of having dealt with press releases and product announcements and the media from both sides. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like you have a lot of experience both taking new apps, but also now specifically like helping the press understand more about different apps in this case, like Text Expander and some of the other stuff probably from Smile as well, correct? Sure. Yes. Even though I'm the Text Expander evangelist, I do work closely with the PDF Pen team. So I just kind of get to be involved in a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, for the most part, fun, I would assume. So, Oh, absolutely. So like I said, last week we had Arion from AppFigures talking about ASO, which I think is super important. But I think the large component of getting your app out is not just word of mouth and just relying on ASO, but also having a coherent message through either your landing page, but also to the press as well. Why do you think it's important to make sure that message is clear when you do communicate that with the press or with various groups of people? If you don't have a clear message, then people have no idea what it is that you're pitching to them. And that could also include not being sure what it is you're pitching to them. An example that comes to mind for me is... uh, there's a webinar that I attended a while ago where they were doing two things. They were talking about their product, but then also offering tips about how to improve. And I'm being intentionally vague because I don't want to call anyone out. But, uh, <laughs> they were also offering tips on how to better do the thing that their app space addresses. So, you know, it's a really great idea. And At the end of the webinar, there were a couple other people that I knew that had attended, and they said, we're still not sure what the product is. Wow. It seems to me like part of the problem is, I'm guilty of this just as much as most folks, it doesn't seem like they had a clear understanding of what their audience was. Because if they're providing clear tips, that should be more of people who already use the app, and that should be made clear, and that should be what the webinar is. And if it is for people who've never used the app, then I think that's where you need to like take it slow and do a tutorial, a 101 on your app, mm-hmm. as opposed to like doing tips. Yeah, that's really interesting. It could have been really useful. The tips were great. 
But still, I mean... But for people who use the app. Okay, this is actually a problem that I have seen other companies have an issue with, which is they are so deep in their own product. That's exactly it, yes. Yeah, they just forget that (laughs) there's a lot of people out there, no matter how popular your product is, that really don't know what it is or don't get what it does. Okay, and you see that a lot, right? Oh, sure. Or like they don't have a good connection with their audience where their audience is using the product in one fashion. When the company, they have no good connection with that audience that actually uses the app. Yes, and it's important to have that connection. One thing that I noticed when I first came on board with Text Expander was that everyone in the company had their own ideas of how you would use Text Expander to improve typing or getting the message, whatever it is. Everyone also was very aware that the users, whether they were individuals or companies, they had very distinct ideas about how Text Expander would work for them. So instead of putting on blinders and looking at it from, well, this is what we think everyone's going to do, we've looked at it as, uh, well, how is everyone actually using it? And then how do we adapt to that with the way we present the product to people? Yeah, and it's like important almost to have like different messaging for different audiences, depending on how like... If you can somehow group those audiences, like how they use, for instance, Text Expander is actually a great example, right? Because there might be coders who use it so that they can do like a template of a code snippet, or mm-hmm. you might have folks who do, you know, much more prose essentially, and like they just have a common snippet that they use. Our sponsor this week is Bright Digit. Bright Digit is my company, and we specialize in helping businesses build apps for the iPhone, the iPad, the Apple Watch, and the Mac. I've been building apps for iOS for almost 10 years now. We have an opening for new projects. If you are a company who might already have developers but need help building something for any of the Apple platforms, send me an email and let's see what Bright Digit can do for you. Contact me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. That's L-E-O at brightdigit.com. And let's see how I can help you and your business. So like, that, that's a great example right there of where like you might have separate webinars, separate communication channels with either of those audiences. And then like having that, me- as long as ha- you have that message clear for both those audiences, I think then it becomes much more understandable. Oh, totally. The message for a support team, for example, yeah. is not the same as the message for an employee recruitment team. So how do you build that clear messaging exactly? You have to pay attention to your users and you need to have communication with your users. And it's okay to ask people, how are you really using this? And it's okay to follow that up with, show me. Mm -hmm. Like almost doing like, especially like a call, a web call of some sort, a video call where you can like see how they're actually using the, the app. And the insight you can get from the way your users are approaching your product can be incredibly valuable. So once you have that like idea and like a narrative of how your users use the app, what's the next step or what do you need to do to like reach out to the press in order to have that message clear? You need to make sure that when you are addressing the press, first, you're going to the right audience. So, for example, let's say that your company makes an app that's just available on Android. 
you don't want to pitch that to journalists that are covering exclusively iPhone and iPad because there's no relevance to them. Or, excuse me, no relevance for them. Right, right. So technology is one example of where, like, you want to make sure whatever technology you're targeting, you're doing that in the correct manner. But how about, like, what if the audience is not necessarily technology-based? Like, is there certain press channels you should be picking out depending on who you target your product for? That takes a lot of research. Okay. And I wish I had just a a clear-cut answer for you on that. But yeah, you need to do a lot of research. Also, it really helps if you know other people that are in the same position you are and talk with them and learn from their experiences. And you might find that uh, one of the PR release agencies that you're thinking about using, they're actually targeting a market that's not appropriate for you. A great example is I live in Boulder, so it's sort of like Silicon Valley, but with the mountains all around it. (laughs) So I run into a lot of people when I go hang out at coffee shops and stuff. And so I met this person that is running a PR agency that focuses on drone technology. And it's really cool stuff that they're helping with, you know, to get the word out. But at the same time, that's very focused. So you need to make sure that if you are looking at press release services, you're looking at the ones that actually address your needs. And there's a lot out there. But if you're doing something in a drone space, that's the perfect guy you want to talk to. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. So once you have that, you figured out who you want to talk to, what are the important components to reaching out to the press? Well, I think I did a slide on that specifically when I did my presentation at 360 iDev. And to me, it was the one slide that if everyone took a photo of and left, after the presentation, they had the most important part, which is you need three elements for your press release and you need them right there immediately. So with your subject for the message you're sending out and for that first sentence, really, in the press release, you need to tell me what it is, who it's for, and why do I care? So let's break those down a little bit. When you say, what is it? What exactly are we talking about? We're talking about what is this product? And it needs to be clear. Is this a piece of software? Is it a piece of hardware? And what does it do? Or what need does it fill? So that could be, let's say, um, you have an email client app. Okay, well, people need to know it's an email client app. Or if you are selling an iPhone case, people need to know this is an iPhone case. And then when you take it to the next part, who is it for? Well, if uh, we're talking about an app, we've established what the app is, what it does. Now, who's it for? What platforms is this app relevant for? Or if it's a piece of hardware, what platforms does it support? And then finally, why do I care? That's the part where, where you tell the media why they need to keep reading your press release. So this could be, like, let's say it's an update to an app. They need to know it's an update, but what does this update bring to the table that makes it important to cover on your blog, or in your news site, on your podcast, or wherever you're spreading information? So, like, why is it special? Yes, exactly. Okay. Why is this special right now? So, I got a couple of questions. When we talk about what is it, I'm going to purposely do this incorrectly just because I know how developers think because I'm one of them. You talk like 
email client, for instance. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what this email client does. It connects to an IMAP or POP3 server and pulls down a list of messages. And then it organizes those messages into folders that are like inbox or sent messages and trash. Is that a good description? Technically, it's a good description. (laughs) Exactly my point. (laughs) It is technically true, but I think that's the problem developers do especially is like they'll describe features. I like that you phrased it this way. What need does it fill or like what pain does it really target? And I think that's like one of the challenges developers have is like we build features, but we never think about what pain it resolves or what need it fills. Sure. And okay, so this uh, hypothetical email client app that we've just created which does exactly those things like every single other email client. Maybe this one <laughs> has some AI built into it where it can learn spam and intelligently filter out spam for you without additional plugins or reliance on some other server. So it's all done locally. Yeah, there you go. And I think when you say it like that, you say what pain it resolves, but you also mark down what makes it special. And then like for target users, like you could say something like for business folks who are like managers and have to frequently communicate spam is a big issue, yada, 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 mm-hmm. or something like that. But I, I think that's a great way to put it. The trick is how do you do that concisely? Uh, because you need to catch that uh, journalists or bloggers or podcasters attention with your subject line. And then you need to hook them with that first sentence. Okay. And if you haven't done either of those, your message isn't going to get read. So what are some common mistakes you've seen folks do when it comes to the email? Well, let's start with the subject line first. What are some common mistakes people do when it comes to their subject lines? The big one is that they're not clear. They'll send an email with a message or create a press release with a message that is so painfully vague, like new update from, and then the company name. And that doesn't help at all. Like even if you're Adobe or Microsoft or Apple, well, I suppose with Apple, people are just going to read it anyhow because they're kind of (laughs) obligated. But (laughs) the point is, it doesn't matter how big your company is. If you're not giving the people the information they need right up front, then the likelihood that your message will get read now or at all goes down dramatically. These people are getting hundreds of press releases a day in many cases. You have to be somebody, like Apple's a great example, but you have to be somebody who's like really well established for the press to want to want to know everything that's going on with said company before you even like can get to that point. Like, yeah, I think that's a good point. It's like, don't expect people to be interested in anything you have to say unless you can hook them with that subject line. And vagueness is a great way to get yourself filtered out. Right. And I've also seen the press releases go out with subject lines that I'll say they're too clever. Yes. Do you want to talk about the Cockney app? (laughs) Because I think that was a great example in your talk. Okay. So the Cockney app, this was, I guess it still is, because I actually checked during my presentation and saw that it was on the App Store (laughs) still. So the idea in and of itself is clever. And it's a weather app for the iPhone that in addition to giving you the weather, it translates, if you will, the text for the weather forecast into like Cockney rhyme slang. I love how it's like, it's a weather app. Okay. 
What makes it unique? It converts it to Cockney slang. Somebody out there had this pain that where they're just like, I wish I could know that the thunderstorm is coming, but you know, make it sound like some 19th century chimney sweeper. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, but what a great description of what the application is. And that's exactly what it does. And it does that very well. But the way the press release read for this, when I first read it, I thought there was something wrong with me. Like maybe I was suddenly having some sort of medical emergency. Like, did I just have an aneurysm? I was like genuinely baffled by this message. And then I read it again. And I thought, no, I didn't misread that. This really is written as Cockney rhyme slang, essentially. And I think if I remember correctly, like the developer might have a quote unquote, and I hate using this term, but a suite of apps that convert weather into various dialects. Because I mean, they're trying to be funny and clever and maybe some people do find that funny and clever, but like it's very, very, very niche in the very nichiest way it could possibly be. Do you think an app, would the press ever be a good outlet for sharing that app with the public? Sure. Okay. But you need to come at it from a different angle. I mean, honestly, it's a clever app and you just need to find the right way to present it Mm -hmm. and the right time as well. So I just brought up the press release. This is the subject of the press release. Find out if it's taters outright on your dog and bone. Yeah. That doesn't belong in the subject line. Yeah. Now, they have a subhead. Creative new weather apps serve up Cockney slang and Shakespeare's rock and roll lyrics. Okay, that's actually a little bit better, but it's still missing key elements. Like, who is it for? Yes. Because I don't know if this is a desktop app, a mobile app. Yeah. Now, could they be humorous about it to where it's like purposely be a little bit like sarcastic? Like, have you ever wanted to, you know, kind of like what I just said, have you ever wanted your weather delivered like in this dialect, you know, and have like some actual descriptions of somebody that speaks that way, like stereo, maybe not a stereotype necessarily, but kind of have a visualization of what you would expect. And, and then you say, you know, maybe not, but this app by so-and-so delivers your weather and like just state it like straight out what the app does as opposed to like having people go through all these mental loops and have to think about like find out if your taters are right on your dog and bone. Like that's so cryptic to 99% of the population. It's like you need to grab everybody and then being able to be a little bit more descriptive and funny within the actual text. Yes. Makes a lot more sense. Way down in the paragraph or in the text. Yes. And while I really appreciate what they were trying to do, you know, with making this so clever and unique that it would stop you and think, I should read this and figure out what this is. It's, I think, going too far. Yes. Like I said, the pyramid of like having it be more cryptic, deeper in the text, because you need to hook people first and be much more concrete about what your app does earlier on. And then you could start like with your inside jokes and being clever, much more deeper into the description. Yes. And if you're dealing with people that are getting 10 emails a day about press releases, this might actually be okay but you have to assume that your target audience for a press release like this is getting hundreds of emails a day. And there are certain times a year where they will be getting so many press releases every day that it's totally overwhelming. For example, if you are in the Apple developer community, okay, when we're coming up on Worldwide Developer Conference or a major software upgrade like iOS 13 and macOS Catalina, the number of press releases that start coming out goes up dramatically. 
if you're someone that goes to CES, good luck Mm. getting a message out to those people when CES is coming up because they'll be getting so many email press releases every single day leading up to CES and then during the event that in my experience, when I was on that side of it and going to CES, I was dealing with so many emails, just press releases every day that I had to set up filters. I had my CES email address so that all of that stuff could be filtered out. And then I could go check it separately from everything else. And I could still get through only a fraction of the messages that came in every day. Okay. So are you also saying like, maybe be careful what time of the year you're sharing your app? That's a really great way to put it. Yes. Okay. Pay attention to the big things that are also happening. So if you see that Apple or Microsoft is going to have a media event on a specific day, that's probably not the day to do your product announcement. Right. Unless your product announcement is directly relevant to what is happening in that keynote. Like if your product is being highlighted in the keynote, okay, maybe that's a good time to send out a message. But otherwise there's a higher likelihood that your message is going to get lost in all of the chaos that goes around those other events. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. So what are some other do's and don'ts when it comes to the subject line or the email in general? Don't start your message with re or looping back or bubbling this back to the top of your list sort of things. Now, where those are appropriate is if you have already established a uh, communication with that person on that very topic. But if it's like a first communication with someone and you're tossing in the subject line elements that make it look like the person may have missed a message from you or you're continuing a conversation you already have, that becomes a big turnoff. For me, it was so much of a turnoff that I actually had to set up a filter at one point for looping back and variations of that to filter those messages out. I think by the end of this podcast episode, we'll have a great idea of this email client we've been talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Email client for people in the press who want to filter out crap. Are we talking about people who are like pretending to loop back or pretending to respond to a message but actually aren't? Okay. Yes. Like you said, if you already established that communication line and like you've already talked to that person, then it makes complete sense. Because it's, it's, you're actually doing it. But basically, don't lie and pretend like you've already talked to this person when, in fact, you haven't. That's what it sounds like to me. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So how about, and I, this might actually have been my question on 360 IDA, but how about if you've emailed that person and you haven't heard an email back? What do you do in that case? Because I've been in that situation. Like, email is a struggle because I'll email somebody and I won't hear back. What's the best thing I should do? Like, how long should I wait? How frequent should I email that person back? The first and most important thing to know in that situation is that you should never take it personally. Right. I think like the thing to remember is you are not the center of that person's orbit. Keep that in mind when you email somebody. They may have a family emergency. They may have their own company stuff that they have to deal with. You're in the queue, obviously. But understand, like, people are emailing you back. It might not even have anything to do with the content of your app. It just may be, like, life happens. So keep that in mind. Right. There's so many things that can lead to a reply not happening. Yes. And if someone goes to the trouble to say, I'm not replying to your messages because I hate you, 
okay, now you can take it personally, but (laughs) I've never seen that happen. So don't take it personally. If you don't get a reply, it's okay to reach out again. And I have seen so many different takes on how long you should wait. You're like, do you send it in a day? Do you send it three days later? Do you do it a week later? What day of the week should you do it on? What time of the day of the week should you do it on? (laughs) My feeling is don't bombard people with something. You send them a message about your product. And if there's no interaction, maybe a week or two later, send them something else. That's what I'm thinking too, is like two weeks. Does that sound about reasonable? I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some people that'll say, oh, that's too long because now you're out of their workflow, out of their memory. You probably weren't in their memory to begin with. So if it's two weeks later. How about if it's time sensitive? If it's time sensitive, then that changes the game. But you still have to be careful on making sure that you're not really bombarding people with your message. So, And maybe you like, maybe that person isn't going to respond back. Like, should you think about maybe changing your message or messaging slightly so that it is like better received with what we've talked about previously? Totally take a look at the way you're presenting your message, even if it's being well-received, because you want to make sure that you're getting the message out that you want to share and that it's effective. And to assume that the wording you use is perfect every single time is a bad idea. It's easy to become complacent, and that's a bad place to be. You want to stay on top of this and really look at what you're saying and doing, even when it works. So you'd say always maybe look at iterating over your messaging on a periodic basis, even if it's successful. Absolutely. Your audience is a moving target. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about as far as the email or the subject line that we haven't covered? I think we've been pretty good with this. So what are some other common mistakes, say a single developer, solo entrepreneur, or maybe like a small company or a large company? What, in each of those levels, what are some common mistakes they make? So easy to make mistakes. <laughs> so easy. And I'm not saying that in a uh, mean way, because this is really hard stuff. And there are people that have been so deep in this for years and years, and it can still be a struggle. And if you're like a single developer out there and you're having to deal with developing your product, getting the message out, handling your payment system and handling support as well, that's really hard. The developers that can do that, you rock because I get how hard that is. Wow. But some of the problems that I see with messaging on that level is that they're unclear. They have typos. They don't make it easy to get the additional information that someone may want, someone that's going to talk about your product would want. And actually, that applies getting the information easily. That applies to small and large companies as well. The number of times when I was on the media side where I would see a product that seemed interesting, but now I had to do this detective work to get the additional information that I needed, to get product shots. I mean, there are times where if it was a product that I really felt like I wanted to talk about, but I couldn't even get any graphic assets, I was going to their website and looking at the site code and pulling graphics out of their website or taking screenshots just so that I would have something. And you should never put the people that are going to talk about your product in the position where they have to do that much to talk about your product. 
this almost sounds, maybe we should start talking about this. Like kind of, we talked a little bit about like keywords last episode with Ariel, but like another component we had talked about as well was getting like screenshots and things like that. Seems like the screenshots that you're going to be setting up when you set up your app in the app store, those screenshots should also be easily available to the media as well. Basically what I've heard is like a media asset kit or a press kit of some sort, correct? Yes. So it sounds like we need screenshots of the app, screenshots maybe of the app used in context, which we kind of talked about in the last episode, and then like logos as well. Yes. Do you have any specifications on any of that stuff, like sizes or file formats, or are you guys pretty open to whatever you get? High resolution is good. And JPEG, PNG, those are great. There you go. We'll keep that one easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How big should that file be? Because, yeah. You say high res and the developer is just going to start sending you this like megapixel ridiculous file. So be careful. <laughs> like what's the max size you would say? 10 megs, like 100 megs, something like that would be reasonable. Sure. Okay. When you're making these graphics, you want to make sure that they're high enough resolution so that uh, they'll look good on retina screens. And also, if by chance they're going to end up in some sort of print publication, which I know isn't nearly as likely now as it used to be, at least not in the United States. I'm sorry, what did you call it? Print publication? What is that? That would be like if you're going in a magazine. What's that? I'm sorry. I know. I know. You mean like on a website? So think of it like a website, but it's a non-volatile media storage version. Uh, So it's like a static snapshot of the website (laughs) printed on dead trees. There you go. Yeah, so basically size your images so that like it's clear to see on various formats, but like don't make it too ridiculously large to where it takes forever for them to download it. I think it's a really good point. Is there anything else as far as the media asset file should contain? Yes, it needs to include product information. And this is a good place to use PDF, not Word. Interesting, why is that? First, because if you're giving someone a Word file, you are giving them a file that may not look the way you intend Ah. because maybe they're opening it with Google Docs. Yes, yes. Or maybe they're opening it with system formatting. Yeah, okay, I gotcha. So do you have the right fonts? Yeah, you don't know how it's going to look. So with a PDF, you can make sure that that's set the way you want it to look. If you expect that people are going to just be doing copy and paste from a press release, then make a text file version with that so they can just copy and paste out of that. Of course, that said, people are pretty savvy and they know how to use tools like PDF Pen to just copy text out of a PDF. But make it easy. Mm -hmm. Give them a text file for that part. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So basically, I like a text format and then also like a PDF format. That makes total sense. Right. And if you have a reviewer's guide, then make that reviewer's guide easily accessible to the media as well. Okay. What is a reviewer's guide? I've actually never heard of that before. Oh, okay. A reviewer's guide, it's like a document that walks the reviewer through the product and shows them what the features are and how to use them. It highlights the things that you feel are most important in your application, and it addresses some of the questions that from experience, you know, the media will have. And it just makes it a lot easier for a reviewer to work through your product. It is a how-to, but it also includes... FAQ almost? Yeah, it's like a how-to. It's like an FAQ. And like if it's an application, it may even include files that 
the reviewer can use with the application so they don't have to like create new content. Okay. That makes total sense. I mean, that's great. One thing that I have seen more than once, and this applies to the press releases as well, contact information. It's crazy how many <laughs> press releases are out there where there's no clear way to contact the developer. Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I could see how, oh, that poor single developer forgot to put that in. Like, he got everything all set, and then he doesn't have the contact info. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and if it's a product that you think is cool enough, you'll go looking to try and find a way to contact them. But that just places another burden on someone. So if it isn't that cool, like, sorry, like, he's not going to waste his time looking for it, even though he was kind of mildly interested in it. Yes, without the contact info, you don't have the opportunity to go from, this is kind of interesting, but... I need a little more information to figure out if I actually want to cover it to, well, that sounded interesting. And now you're on to the next press release and this one is gone from your mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. While also keeping the file reasonably sized and maybe you can use a service to host it for you. How about videos? Videos are great as well. It's funny, sometimes when I'm talking about things like this, I get stuck in the text side of it. Mm -hmm. But yes, videos are great. And I think like when we talk about videos, like we don't necessarily need to provide like the actual MP4 essentially in the zip file, but perhaps, you know, you can just provide a link within your text of like video of using the app. Right. And that also provides a lot of context, which we also talked about last episode as well. I'm going to add into videos and I'll say it both ways to uh, make all users happy. If you have GIF or GIF content. (laughs) Please don't message us and tell us what you think of how it should be pronounced. But yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not a video, but I like to lump those together because it's visual animated content. That makes total sense, especially if we're talking about showing the app being used and it's just a simple animation of screenshots of how the app is used and how that flow works. Then a GIF totally makes sense. But like, I think if we're talking about showing actual people using the app, then a video might make more sense since you're not It's not going to look like garbage, essentially. And for some apps, having some sort of animated or video content to go along with that, it makes it so much clearer what the product actually does. Yes. Yep. A lot of what we're talking about here with this press kit makes me think like this is stuff that part of keywords, like we talked about in the last episode, but part of setting up your Xcode project. This seems like something you maybe should be thinking about early on in the development of an app. Would you agree with that? Yes. At a minimum, you need to be thinking about what is the message. And by that, I mean, you know what the product is or what the goal is for this product. And and of course, I know ultimately the goal is to sell the product. but The goal for the end user, though. Yes, the goal for the end user. And be thinking about how you are going to present that. For me, I like to think of that as sometimes you need to climb up out of the mosh pit of coding that you're in and look at it from above and get a different perspective on what you're doing and then go back down in and and get back to work so that you can have a better idea before you get to the point where you need to start telling people about your product. What exactly is it that you're going to say? And then try this out on people. Like if you're a single developer or like a small developer group, rope in friends and family and get their take on what your product is. That can be very insightful and learn from what they have to say 
And it's okay if you explain your product to a friend or family member and they're like, I don't get it. That's not something that you should take personally, but it's something that you should listen to because if they don't get it, then either you're not presenting your product to them well, or you are presenting it in a way that is going over, we'll call it the average user's head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard this term, the mom test, where it's like, you want to communicate an idea or concept or an app, test it with your mom or somebody's mom to see if it like makes sense to them before moving forward with that either development or the messaging of that app. Right, and ask them, so what do you think this product is? Because you could describe something to them and say, does that make sense? And they go, yeah. And then when you ask them to, uh, to tell you what it is, they rattle off something where now you're questioning, were they even in the same room with you when you described your product? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really good feedback. Yeah, that's super useful. The other thing is like, if you're like, I'm beta testing an app, like schedule calls with your beta testers. You could do something as simple as just live streaming the use of the app on YouTube with live testers and ask to get their questions and their feedback. I think that's just another way of doing it as well. Oh, yeah. Speaking of beta testing, like how early on should you reach out to the press if you're just beta testing something? That's a really good question. If it's press that you have a relationship with, I think it's okay to reach out a lot earlier. Okay. Because in many cases, those press people may be interested in participating in your beta so that they know more about the product when the launch actually happens. Mm-hmm. And then that's good for you because now you have these people that don't have to get up to speed in 20 minutes and write an article and have it out 45 minutes later. These are people that already get what the product is. And that also means you have a higher likelihood of having product reviews on launch day. Okay. Okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. Because I have a couple apps that are in beta trying to figure out it works. The app works. Is it fully baked? Of course not. That's why I'm beta testing it. But at the same right. time, like part of the advantage of reaching out to the press is getting more beta testers to use the app while at the same time, like getting feedback on the app before it's quote unquote released into the public. Oh yeah. Back when I was media, there were many products that I was involved in beta testing. And it was great because I was able to do exactly what I just said, learn about the product, and be familiar with it when it became time to write a review and then have that review out in a timely manner that, of course, it's beneficial to the developer because now this review's out on launch day, but it's also beneficial to the end users because they have something that they can look at and make a more informed decision about whether or not this is a product they want to try or buy. Then the other bonus is many of these products that I beta tested I became so reliant on that I just ended up buying licenses and I'm still using those products today. Yeah, that makes total sense. Before we end this episode, I wanted to get your opinion on press release distribution lists. I used to use PR Log a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Do you think they're still valuable? It sounds like you're really emphasizing the personal relationship as being important. I think the personal relationship is really important because that makes it so much easier when you have a new product or product update coming out to get like this immediate engagement because you reach out and say, hey, Mary, we're doing this uh, big update for whatever our product is. And since Mary is already familiar with you and the product, she is more likely 
to say, oh, cool, when can I get a beta? Yeah, okay. But on the other side of that, the release services, I see value in those. Okay. And that's because there are a lot of people out there that you don't know that may be interested in your product. And when you're using the different press release services as media, you can set the parameters for what types of press releases you get. And one thing I used to do was set myself up to get daily digests for the topics I was interested in. Okay. So then I could scan through and look at the subjects and see from those lists what looked interesting to me. And then I would go find that press release. And there were companies that I developed relationships with based on finding their press release in a digest that I was getting every day. Okay, that makes total sense. How would you order that? Would you order maybe like reaching out to people personally first? And then once you feel like you're confident that your messaging is clear, then posting it to a distribution list? Or would you say post it to a distribution list first and then start emailing people? Do them in tandem. Okay, makes total sense. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people get a hold of you? Well, first... Thanks for having me on. This was cool. This is a lot of fun to have this discussion. It's good for me too. Now you've given me a to-do list for my oh, apps. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I got to get a reviewer's guide together. How do I do that? <laughs> okay. Well, just one more tip. Go look at the PR pages for other websites or for other companies and see what they have and look at their media kits and see what you like and what you don't and then build your own. Yeah, I've seen a lot, even like stuff on GitHub where people have, they're like, this is our press kit, this is our media kit. And it's like, this is the logos, this is screenshots, like everything you can get right off of GitHub pretty easily. And like, that's great. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And if you have any examples, we'll put those in the show notes as well. Of course, we have a PR page for Text Expander. So we can toss that. Yes, for sure. Okay, so you asked where can people find me? That would be at textexpander.com. That's the Text Expander website. And I'm easy to find on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Jay Gamut on both of those. And if you do a Google search, you will find me lots of other places as well. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Maybe we'll have you on again to talk more about this stuff and see if we get any questions from the audience from this episode. Thank you again. Sounds great. And thank you. You rock. This is so much fun. <laughs> yes, I agree. This has been fantastic. If people want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. You can also email me, leo at brightdigit.com. You can also find my company, Bright Digit, on Twitter as well at Bright Digit or just the website, brightdigit.com. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode and we will talk to you later.